Our uh, reading this morning is from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, starting at verse 6, um, which is on the screen behind me or in page 1771 in the uh, Bibles that are out on the chairs. So from verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thanks for reading, Ian. I want to start this morning with a word of wisdom from the Trinity Church Unley office from Jack Page this week. This is what Jack told me. He said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato into a fruit salad. Words of wisdom from Jack Page. I tell you this information and Jack reminded me of this because, well, we were talking about the idea that not all knowledge is the same, that not all wisdom is the same. Today we're looking at the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and it's all about wisdom. But while it's about wisdom, it clearly separates wisdom into two different types. On one side we've got worldly wisdom and on the other side we have the other type, spiritual wisdom. In fact, this passage also has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. When we started our series on 1 Corinthians, you might have remembered that I read a sentence from Brian Rosner's really thick commentary on 1 Corinthians about why we should study 1 Corinthians. And Brian said this, he said, No book in the New Testament, even Paul's letter to the Romans, does more to explain the grace of God, the Lordship of Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Already so far in this series, we've seen something of the grace of God. We've seen that as we looked at the first part of chapter 1. We've seen something of the Lordship of Jesus and now, today, we're about to see the work of the Holy Spirit and we're only up to chapter 2 of this letter. I reckon many of us are probably fascinated by the Spirit. The Spirit seems kind of mysterious. 
and we're often not quite sure what to think or, or what to say when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so today, I hope you see how the Spirit works, firstly in the Apostles, but also in the church, and I think by extension, in our lives today. We see that the Spirit helps us to see the cross and God's plan of salvation as His power. We'll see that the Spirit helps us to discern the mind of Christ. And all of that, I hope, gets you thinking this morning. So that when you leave, I want a question to be floating in your mind, and that is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the wisdom of the world? Or are you listening to spiritual wisdom? Last week we looked at the second part of chapter 1 and we saw Paul calling the church in Corinth, the church that he, he planted, we saw him calling them to be united. They were divided, if you remember, it seemed they were divided over leaders in the church and that division was kind of around their style or their method of teaching and preaching. On one side of the divide we had Apollos and on the other side we had Paul. It wasn't that Apollos was a false teacher, it just seemed that the methods that he employed in his teaching overshadowed the content of the message that he had to preach. Perhaps his delivery was so impressive, so captivating, that people forgot to listen to the message of the cross. Last week, there was another big divide. Remember that divide? Last week, we saw that the cross of Christ divides the world in two. On one side of that divide, we have those who are perishing, and on the other side, those who are being saved. Now, this week, the cross, it, it sort of fades into the background. Obviously, it's going to come back in this letter, but the cross fades into the background, and what comes into the foreground is the division between wisdom of the world and God's wisdom or spiritual wisdom. And we're going to take a look at that starting in verse 6 of chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to the passage that Ian read, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. This is how the section starts. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Now, by the end of our time together this morning, I'd love you to kind of be able to unpack this verse in your own mind. I'd love you to understand this verse in the way that Brian Rosner expands it in his commentary. And I've got his words on the screen behind me. Kind of unpacks it to help us understand what's going here. He says this, but, there's a but in this sentence, but in contrast to human wisdom, we, that's Paul and the apostles and the prophets and the preachers in Corinth, we speak or declare wisdom... What he means by wisdom is the fullness of the gospel of Christ crucified among the mature, among the discerning Christians in the church in Corinth. Now that's where we're going to get to, I hope. But when I first read this section of text, I felt a bit confused. I don't reckon it's the easiest section of text to understand. And part of the confusion for me is the way in which Paul uses this word wisdom. He does it a lot, doesn't he? The word comes up a lot in this passage and in the passage just before. Sometimes he seems to mean the wisdom of the world. Sometimes he seems to mean spiritual wisdom. And that means, well, this word is it's kind of like a, a homograph, isn't it? Do you know what a homograph is? It's two words that sound the same but mean something different. My kids are good at these. They talk about them at school. They must be learning grammar again at school. Let me give you an example. They talk about a homophone being, well, like, say, a park. When you arrived here this morning, you might have 
parked your car in the car park. Others of you might be going off this afternoon to walk your dog in the park or to play some cricket in the park. Park is a homophone, two different, homograph, sorry, two different words. Or while you're at the park playing cricket this afternoon, or if it's this evening, you might hit the ball with a bat, but if you look up in the sky, you might see a bat going over the top. Homographs. In chapter 1, Paul had been speaking about the foolishness of wisdom. And here in verse 6 of chapter 2, he seems to undermine all of what he says with these words. We do have a speaker message of wisdom among the mature. And how do we make sense of this? Well, we make sense of it by seeing the two types of wisdom. The wisdom of the world and God's wisdom. Let me read on. We do have a speaker message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Do you notice how Paul starts to differentiate or contrast these two types of wisdom? He does it by their permeance. The wisdom of this age, Paul says, like the rulers of this age, well, that'll come to nothing. And that's contrasted with God's wisdom, which is destined for glory before time began. The wisdom of this age is going to fade away. It'll come to nothing, says Paul. Does that sound familiar to you? I reckon Paul's onto something here. Uh, let me give you an example. I remember when I was growing up seeing something like this uh, photo that's on the screen, um, seeing one of these on my dad's desk. Does anyone know what this is? A few of you. This is a slide rule. It's a very complicated looking thing. Uh, you needed to be taught how to use it. You needed wisdom to use this. Who has that wisdom? Well, not me. And by looking at the hands that went up in the room, very few of you who are under 60 know anything about these things. In another 30 years, I don't reckon anyone will know what these are. The wisdom of the world fades away, doesn't it? God's wisdom, on the other hand, while it's been hidden, it has been destined for glory since before time began. God's wisdom has permeance. So that's one way of differentiating. The wisdom of this world is fading away. God's wisdom has permeance. The next way that Paul differentiates is look at who has this wisdom. Who has this wisdom? Well, it's not the rulers of the age when Paul was writing, is it? Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Here I think the idea is that the rulers, well, it's not just they didn't hear what Jesus had to say with their ears, but they didn't accept or they didn't embrace Jesus. They didn't accept him as Lord, and so they crucified him. They executed him as a criminal with all the shame and the pain that went along with that. The rulers of Paul's age did not understand God's wisdom. So if it's not the rulers who understand God's wisdom, who then is it who does understand? Who's the we in this passage as you read it? And I think the we in this passage is the apostles, Peter and Paul and the others who are set aside and who are commissioned, like we commissioned Bonnie this morning, but who are commissioned specifically by Jesus to teach about God's wisdom. The apostles, the preachers of the day. Okay, so, so far we've seen two types of wisdom in this passage. Worldly wisdom, 
and spiritual wisdom. Now, of course, there is a place in the world for worldly wisdom, isn't there? If there wasn't any worldly wisdom, the lights wouldn't come on when we turn them on in the morning, the car wouldn't start, there'd be no point in going to school. It's not that there's no place for worldly wisdom, but Paul wants us to see that there's another wisdom, not of this age, a wisdom that concerns that which has been hidden. Now, if the message has been hidden, how do the apostles come to possess this wisdom? And the answer of that question is is, is in verse 9. Let me read on, look down in your passages from verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. This is an interesting quote that Paul uses here. It looks like it, most likely that it um, comes from somewhere in Isaiah, but there is a little bit of conjecture about this. Um, most of the scholars are a little bit unsure what's going on here. I like what William Taylor, a preacher in the UK, says. He, he points out that, that Isaiah 64 comes just before Isaiah 65, and Isaiah 65, if you remember, speaks about the new creation and all the things that happen in the new creation. And William makes this point. He says... What academic or what scientist or what philosopher could look with all their worldly wisdom, with all, their, all that their eyes and ears can tell them about this world and then conclude that God's plan is to make all things new? That what lies ahead is a new heaven and a new earth. That's not possible with worldly wisdom. We only know these things because they've been revealed by the Spirit of God to the apostles and to the prophets. Okay, so if you've got your outline there, that's kind of... We have to kind of point to, that's a bit of a silly point, but do apostles go to university or do apostles go to trade school? And I want to suggest that apostles gain the wisdom of God in a more kind of like trade school environment than in a university environment. At least as I understand it anyway, when you go to trade school, the master reveals or shows the apprentice something that is to be done. So as I understand it, an electrician sees with their eyes how to wire a PowerPoint. It's revealed by the master and they go away and do it. At least my experience at university was quite different. You kind of read books and the wisdom kind of washes over you and you discover it for yourself. The apostles, they know the thoughts of God because it's been revealed to them by the Spirit. That's one of the two ways in which we see God at work in this passage. The Spirit reveals God's plan of salvation to the apostles. And I suggest that were it not for this revelation, the apostles would be none the wiser. I think that's the gist of what Paul's saying in verses 11 and 12 in this passage. Without revelation, you can't know God's mind. Unless His mind is revealed to you, you can't know what's going on in God's mind. I'll borrow another illustration from William Taylor. I want you to do an exercise for me. I'd like your eye to just settle on someone else in the room. I don't want any evil eyes or any wandering eyes, but just kind of pick out someone else in this room, just for a moment. Now, concentrate really hard. Concentrate hard and focus what's in that person's mind. Work hard, concentrate what's in their mind. Now, I reckon you could hazard a couple of guesses about what's in their mind, things like, did I turn the oven off before I left this morning? Or maybe... Oh, what am I going to make for school lunches this week? Or I must remember to feed the cat tonight. Or when is this preacher ever going to finish? There are some of those things that are going through this, their minds. 
But here's the truth of the matter. No matter how hard you try, you can't read someone's mind. Have a look with me at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Does it make sense? And so Paul says, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, spiritual wisdom is concerned with the things of God, with the thoughts of God. You can't see those things with your eyes or hear them with your ears. They have to be revealed by God's Spirit. I think we often wonder about the role of the Spirit. What's the Spirit's job? What does the Spirit do? How can we get the Spirit? What's the point of the Spirit? Can you see here how the Spirit works? The Spirit reveals to the apostles the things of God. And that in turn then enables the apostles to speak and explain spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. That is, the Spirit gives the apostles words to teach and to speak about the things of God. How does the Spirit work? Reveals to the apostles the things of God. They then can speak them to us. Okay, the last section that we're going to look at today is verses 14 through to 16. And what makes these verses interesting is, is that the attention switches away from the apostles to those in the church in Corinth. And I think by extension to us today. Let me, let me read these verses to you. The person without the Spirit does not expect, accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see here that Paul has shifted from the apostles to the people in the church. Again, there are two groups. The comparison is the divide between the person with the Spirit and the person without the Spirit. The person without the Spirit doesn't welcome or doesn't believe the things that come from God. By name, they don't believe or they don't welcome the wisdom of God who sent Jesus to redeem the world through the cross. Why does the person without the Spirit not do this? Well, Paul tells us it's because they consider these things to be foolishness. It's kind of the idea we saw in chapter 1, isn't it? I want you to see this is a really sad thing in a way. Here's Brian Rosner again. The reason for this rejection is that such a person judges this message to be foolishness. The person without the Spirit is volitionally prejudiced against it and rejects it in unbelief. Brian goes on to say, this is about as negative a statement as you can find in all of Paul's letters about the human condition outside of Christ. The person without the Spirit sees the things of God as foolishness. They're almost preconditioned to see it that way. Great reason for us to want people to know God, right? And the flip side of this is those who have the Spirit. Those people are able to make judgments, or perhaps put a different way, those people are able to make inquiries into all things. 
Those with the Spirit then are able to bring their challenges and petitions to God through the Spirit, and in, in doing so, they discover how the cross of Christ and how the wisdom of God applies to their situation. Paul goes on to quote from Isaiah 40, and it's worth turning there in your Bibles to see what Paul's doing here. Uh, I think I've got the words on the screen, but if you could turn to Isaiah 40, that'd be a good thing to do. Isaiah 40 is a chapter of comfort and hope for Israel. And from verse 12, there's a series of rhetorical questions that all in Isaiah expect the answer, no one. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. This is what Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? The implied answer to that, of course, is, well, no human person. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? And again, the implied answer is, no human person. Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as His counsel? This is the quote that Paul uses here. And in the context, the Spirit of the Lord could be translated as who has comprehended God's plan of salvation. And again, the answer is no one. Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Again, the answer is, well, no human person has taught God these things. Who's known the mind of God? The implied answer from Isaiah is no one. But what does Paul do here? He gives us the New Testament answer, a correction. He says, we have the mind of Christ. It's not some esoteric wisdom, is it? A mindset. We have the mindset of Christ. And we have the mindset of Christ because it's been revealed by the Spirit of God. Perhaps you're sitting here today wondering, do I have God's Spirit? Maybe you're wondering, how can I get that Spirit? Maybe you've kind of in the past equated God's Spirit to some sort of mystical experience, and maybe you're wondering if you got enough of that Spirit. Was the mystical experience powerful enough for you to get it? How do you know if you have the Spirit? How can you be sure? And come with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I think it's on the screen again. This is Paul again speaking this time to the church of Ephesus. And he says this, And you, verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you've heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, if you've believed that message of truth about Christ crucified, then when you were believed, it says here, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Do you believe Jesus is Lord and Messiah? Are you seeking to follow him? If your answer is yes, this is evidence, isn't it, of the Spirit at work in you. If it were not for the Spirit, then you'd see these things as foolishness. If you don't, the Spirit's at work in you. Maybe today you're here because someone's invited you along. Maybe this is the first time you've thought about God's wisdom or about the Spirit of God. Maybe you'd like to know more about this, about what God is doing in the world. 
What are you to do if that's where you are today? Can I encourage you to speak to the person who brought you along and ask them to get you a copy of one of the Gospels to read. We have some out on the hall table. You're very welcome to take one of those. Take a Gospel and read about the life and the work of Jesus. And as you read, ask God to give you His Spirit so that you might understand the words that are written there. Ask Him to understand the truth of what you're reading. Matthew's Gospel is a wonderful promise in chapter 7 about what happens when we ask. It says this, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask God to reveal these things to you by His Spirit. Well, as we wrap up this section today... Let me ask you a question. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the apostles' teaching? Or are you getting distracted by the wisdom of the world all around you? Paul here is speaking a message of wisdom among the mature, it says in verse 6. And they're mature because they are discerning. And they're discerning because they have the Spirit of God at work in them. And yet Paul's still speaking to them about things of the Spirit. And his aim is to encourage them to change the way they live, to mature as Christian people. For those in the Church of Corinth, we'll see in the coming weeks that they have a ways to go with this still. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll see Paul highlight that this this message of the wisdom of God and the Spirit's work in their lives is, is, is not yet washed through the Corinthian church and is not yet transforming the way they live. Although they have the minds of Christ, they are still living as those who are worldly. And my question to ask is, are we? Or are you? Maybe you wouldn't call us worldly. But here's the thing, I reckon all of us, regardless of where we are in life, could become more mature and more discerning and more like Jesus. How do we do that? Well, by listening to the words of the apostles. They're spirit-taught words that explain spiritual realities. And as we listen to these words, we can also be asking that the spirit in each of us would help us to make judgments about all things so that we grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to ask that God would do in and amongst us now. Father God, we thank you for this little section in 1 Corinthians that helps us to know whether there are two types of wisdom in the world, worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. I thank you that the things of you, the things of God, are not hidden but have been revealed by your Spirit. I'm going to pray that you'd keep being at work in us through the Spirit that we'd be able to discern the things that we should, that we'd make inquiries of you, and that as we do so, we'd become more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen.